Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Calvary Church. Welcome to all of you joining us from Quakertown. Those of you that are watching online, it's great to have you with us. Well, last Sunday morning, uh, Carlos spoke, and he kind of ended his message with a little challenge, if you remember. And I was going to ignore that. I decided I was just going to forget it. But then I started getting emails and people texting me, and I guess they were listening to what he said. And uh, most of you, or some of you have heard of GOAT, you know, greatest of all time. Well, somebody sent this. Uh, Giants obviously are terrible. And now that they have a Dallas coach as their coordinator, they will even be worse. And so that's kind of good news. Uh, somebody also sent Carlos's name uh, just to kind of help you understand. And that is Carlos awkwardly and regrettably loves obnoxious shoes. And if you haven't seen that next time he's up here, you check it out. He usually wears shoes that uh, I'd certainly never wear. And uh, I'm surprised he wears. You'll see that. Also, uh, Carlos is bald. You ever notice that? But Carlos actually has a bald head because it signifies that he's a belly and Latin dancer. Uh, somebody after the, serve, after the first service said, Charles, I'm going to have that thought in my mind all week. Thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, so don't think of that. But anyway, well, we're in a series that we're calling Ready, Set. And the reason for the Ready, Set without the go is preparation always precedes execution. If not, you wind up in a lot of trouble. If you're gonna go and enter a race, you have to prepare, you stretch, you train, you get your head in the game, and then you race. If you're gonna plan a project, whether it's at work, in your family, plan a vacation, whatever, what do you do? You look at the present reality, you measure what's going on, you have a picture of a preferred situation, a preferred future, and then you map out a plan of how to get from the present reality to the preferred future. Well, that's kind of what we're doing in the series. And one of the things that's come up regularly, and you're going to hear it a few more times in the series, is that one of the ways, maybe the main way that we get ready and set is we pray. Now, prayer isn't just coming to God with your laundry list of things you want him to do. Prayer is listening. Prayer is allowing God to start the conversation occasionally. Prayer is entering that conversation and building that relationship with God. I was reminded of prayer, you know, through the scripture, there are a number of ways that, ways that the importance of prayer is communicated. Here's one. Most of you probably have heard the name Moses. Moses is a pretty key figure in the Old Testament. Moses kind of comes on the scene in a pretty strange incident. Moses is at this point, you know, adopted by Pharaoh. He's like prince of Egypt. He has, you know, life by the tail. Everything's handled well. But he walks out and he notices an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And here's what Exodus says. Moses looked this way and that way, killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Now, here's my question. Which way did Moses not look? He didn't look up, did he? Because if he would have invited God into the conversation, if he allowed God to initiate, he wouldn't have killed the guy and buried him in the sand. You say, Charles, why do you bring that up? Because some of you work with really difficult people and you're tempted to look this way and that way. If you don't look up, you may be tempted to kill them and bury them in the sand. If not literally, certainly in your mind and in conversation and slander and gossip. But if you look up, God will say, how can you bring good and grace into the situation? Don't just look this way and that way. Look up, ask God to enter the conversation. Allow God to initiate and allow God to speak. One of the things that I do at the beginning of each year is I read through the Gospels. So as I'm reading through the Gospels this year with our Ready, Set series kind of bouncing around in my brain, I've been reminded how often Jesus prays. 
I mean, almost on every page, Jesus is praying. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Do you realize before Jesus started his public ministry, he prayed for 40 days in the desert, more than a month of prayer before he starts his ministry. The night before he chooses the 12 disciples, he doesn't sleep the night before, he prays all night the night before he selects the disciples. Regularly, he slips away from the crowd. Regularly, he goes away from the disciples. Sometimes they're looking for him. They don't know where he went. He's out alone praying, talking to God, kind of sharing his request, hearing what God has to say. The last night of Jesus' earthly life, he prays in the garden. On the cross, as he's being executed, he prays to his father. The theme of Jesus' life is prayer. He's communicating with God. And here's the thought that I kept having. Now, if Jesus is the son of God and he needs to pray all that, how much more do I need to pray as weak and stupid as I am? Prayer is something we all need. A misconception that we have about prayer, one of them, there are a bunch of them. One misconception is that we have to bow our heads and close our eyes. You've heard that before. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed. That's not the normal posture of prayer in the Bible. I'm not sure you know that. Very occasionally, but not too often, do people bow their heads and close their eyes. In fact, maybe the normal position for prayer is the way Jesus often prayers, he prays. He lifts his eyes to heaven with his eyes wide open and he prays. It's almost as if Jesus is reminding himself that his father, bigger, greater, wonderful, providing for all that he needs. And maybe it's not that particular posture. Where did bow our heads and eyes closed come from? I don't know, maybe Sunday school teachers wanted to keep the boys from messing up in class. Or maybe evangelists wanted, you know, don't look around, anybody raising their hands. I'm not sure where it came from, but that's not the normal biblical position. Here's some other misconceptions. Do you ever wonder why we don't pray as much as we should? You may, maybe you do pray as much as you think you should. I, I don't. And so here's a little list as to reasons we don't pray. I'm not sure if your reason is, is on the list. If not, you can tell me afterward. Here's some reasons we don't pray. See if your reasons are on here. I don't have time to pray. I don't know how to pray. I tried to pray before and it didn't work, so I stopped. I'm not sure there is a God. I think there is a God, but I know he's not interested in me. My mind wanders when I pray. If I try a formula for prayer, it feels contrived. If I freestyle, my mind wanders. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm too cynical. I'm too tired. I fall asleep when I pray. I'm afraid that if I prayed, God would ask me to change things that I don't want to change. If God already knows everything, why in the world should I pray? I did something bad, really bad last night, so I'm on spiritual timeout. I'm too, ex I'm too extroverted. I'm too introverted. The dog ate my homework. What? The I mean, the list is almost endless, right? Now, I'm not sure if, uh, if you're like me in this, but when things are going bad in your life, you know, you're kind of, your life, you feel like you've fallen into the cracks, life's falling apart, then you really pray, right? But when life's going well, you seem to have everything going the way you want, you rarely pray. Somebody told me about an old Pete Seeger song that I couldn't quite believe him, so I looked for it this week on YouTube and I listened to it. I forget the title of the song, but the title reminds me of that misconception. Let me, let me tell you what the song's about. The song's about two maggots. They're on a shovel handle in a barn, and uh, the farmer goes over and grabs the shovel, and as the farmer's walking with the shovel, one of the maggots, sorry, it's not my song, one of the maggots falls from the shovel handle into a crack 
in the sidewalk. As he walks a little further, the other maggot falls off the shovel handle into a dead cat in the gutter. You see why I like the song. It goes into the dead cat in the gutter. Well, you can imagine the maggot in the crack in the sidewalk is starving. I mean, three days later, he lost all kinds of weight. He's got a headache, right? He can't, he's wondering if he's going to survive. The maggot that fell into the dead cat thinks he's in heaven, right? I mean, he's eating, he's getting huge, right? Spending three days eating from the dead cat. He climbs out of the cat and he begins to crawl, you know, kind of slither along the sidewalk and he can barely move. And eventually he looks in the crack in the ground and he sees the, you know, the starving maggot. And the starving maggot says, what in the world's going on? I'm here starving to death, I'm dying. And you're sleek and fat and well-fed. What happened? What's the difference? And the fat maggot said, brains and personality, brains and personality. What made the difference? Nothing that the maggots did. But sometimes when life's going the way we want, we think it's our brains, it's our personality, it's our discipline. You know what? As long as we're depending on our brains and our personality, we will not get all that God has for us. When we admit that we're nothing but paupers, then we come in need accepting and asking God to give us what we can't provide for ourselves. So we're gonna to seek to clear up some misconceptions today as we go through. Maybe those will be some we clear up along the way. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at the Lord's Prayer today. Carlos clued you into that last week. Uh, Justin must have read it this week. In fact, Joe Theismann yesterday said that every morning and evening, he actually prays the Lord's Prayer. It reminds him of who God is, reminds him of who he is, reminds that he's, in, that he's needed, that, that he has needs, and that only God can supply them. So we're gonna kind of walk through the prayer. We're not gonna do it by looking at every word and every little phrase. That would be a good practice for you. You can kind of work your way through it. We're just gonna look at a couple of highlights that'll maybe cure some of our misconceptions or problems as we pray. Here's the first one that comes up. The Lord's Prayer will cause us to change our perspective to change our perspective. You see, when we come to prayer, we need to shift gears because we often have the wrong foundation in mind. Now, where does Jesus talk about changing perspective? Right in the first word of his prayer. He says, Father. Now, here's the problem. I'd be willing to bet that you're often like me, and when we come to prayer, our perspective is more of employee than child. We come to God asking, we come to God expecting, we come to God as employees, and he's like the boss, rather than coming to God as children, and God is our father. Now, many of you in the room, maybe most of you have jobs, others of you may need a job. How does it work to get a job? Here's how it works. Um, you find an advertisement or you hear of an opening at a particular company, church, whatever. You then make application. Your application is received. Maybe they kind of look at your resume. And if you meet the qualifications, you get called in by HR or the boss for an interview. If your personality isn't going to weird everybody out and you still meet the qualifications, you may get hired on a trial basis. If you get hired on a trial basis, the expectations are laid out. The job description is given to you with the little bullets of things you have to do. At the end of that trial period, if you've met the expectations, things are going well, they then hire you kind of long-term. Over a period of time, you get lots of performance evaluations. And if you exceed the expectations, you get promoted. If you meet the expectations, you keep your job. If you miss the expectations, you get fired. That's how jobs work. Jobs work on the basis of 
performance. If you perform well, you keep your job. Perform exceedingly well, you get promoted. Now that doesn't mean that you can't have a good relationship with your boss. It's possible, right? Some of you may have good relationships with your boss. Maybe some of you say, my boss and I are really good friends. We laugh together, we tell stories, we play tennis together, we, we golf together. Here's the key, let her win, let her win, right? You, we can have a good, we go to lunch, we hang out, our families have even getting together. Yeah, but when you peel all of that back, at the end of the day, your relationship with your boss is a performance-based relationship. And that means when you stop performing, you will lose your job. Maybe you'll still go to lunch and golf, but you no longer are employed by that organization. Isn't that often how we approach God in prayer? And our language sometimes betrays us. It goes like this. You know, I've had a really good run here. I mean, I haven't missed church like in five weeks. I've been reading the Bible once in a while, saying my prayers. I've been you know, trying to be a good husband. Kids are doing okay. Therefore, when I pray, God's really going to deliver what I want today. Or, you know what? I'm not doing real well at all. I can't even ask God for anything because I know he's not going to answer that. I know he's not going to give me what I want. You ever think that even a little bit? That's a performance, an employee-based relationship. How do you get kids in your family? Um, do they make application when their request is there? Do you then uh, check their qualifications? Do you interview them and see if their personalities kind of work out and they'll be accepted into the group? Do you then list them expectations? Do you give them a little job description? Here's our child job description, right? And I just want you to know, if you meet the job description, you can stay a child. If you exceed them, maybe you'll get promoted. If you flunk, you're out. That's not how it works in families, right? That's how it works in business. That's not how it works in family. And so Jesus tells us right at the beginning, our relationship with God and the foundation for prayer is not performance, it's not business, it's not that we owe, it's not that we fulfill items on job description and then God loves us more and gives us what we want because we, we meet the performance standards. No, our relationship is one of grace through Jesus Christ. We are children because our older brother paid the way for us to be adopted into the family. That's the foundation. That's the perspective we're to have when we pray. And I'd be willing to bet that since we're kind of alike, we often run to prayer. The first thought we have in prayer is beginning the list of things we want God to give us. What does Jesus say? The first thing is remind yourself of your relationship with him. He's Father. Correct your perspective before you continue or even start to pray. That's kind of interesting, right? Well, what comes next? Not just perspective, but remember. Remember. Well, what are we to remember? Yes, remember God's your father, but remember who he is. Here's how Jesus says it in the second phrase. Father, hallowed be your name. What the heck does hallowed mean? Only time we use that word is Halloween. <laughs> uh, the word hallowed means to honor, to respect, to magnify to realize that the person you're speaking to is above you, beyond you. And in fact, as you read the rest of the Bible, if we're gonna remember who God is, we're gonna rem remember he's above, above, beyond, beyond. That's who we're talking to. Yes, he's our dad, and that's an amazing thought. But he's not like your best buddy, only he is your father, and he's the king of the universe. He's the creator of all that exists, and he makes time and wants us to speak to him and to speak to us even more than we want to come and talk to him. 
Remember who he is and remember all that he's done. Do you ever get distracted when you pray? Let me walk you through uh, my prayer experience uh, Friday. I'm at home, kind of in the living room, get up, try to read a little bit, pray before I leave. And as I'm sitting in my chair, you know, it's just kind of light enough outside that I can see some stuff. And I see two fat squirrels fighting in the yard. And they are real, they're jumping on each other. They're hanging from the bird feeder. You know, it's kind of, I go up to the window. I'm looking at them. I'm kind of getting ready to wake Kim up so she can come and look at them. And, and then I said, no, no, come on, I got to pray, I pray. Then I go back and I have my phone on vibrate. So the dinging won't, with email coming in won't wait, won't stop me. But then I hear on the kitchen counter and I have to check that email because that email may mean that I won the lottery and I've got a resignation letter to write. (laughs) And so I've got to look at the email and I say, no, I shouldn't be looking at the email. And I go back and I sit down and I no sooner sit down and notice I've got something stuck in my teeth (laughs) and I better get up and get a toothpick or floss immediately or I may get gum disease. And if I have gum disease, my teeth will fall out. I won't be able to pray. You know, I've got to get this thing out of your prayer experience ever like that? Easily distracted. Any little thing, any little thing in our environment immediately calls, our, uh, summons us and we run from this to that. And before you know it, our prayer time's over and we've run to this and run to that, run to this, but we haven't spent a whole lot of time reminding ourselves of who God is and focusing on the foundation of prayer and that God is our Father. Now here's what's uh, convicting to me. Suppose someone that's really, really significant and important to you. So we had Joe Theismann here yesterday. Think of your favorite NFL player. Think of your favorite politician, right? We won't name one because that'll tick half of you off. (laughs) Think of your favorite politician, your favorite athlete, your favorite movie star. Just suppose that person was coming to have lunch with you today. How distracted would you be at the lunch table? Would you be running over to the window to look at the fat squirrels fighting? Would you be picking up your phone, answering your emails when the person's trying to engage you in conversation? Would you be picking your teeth in front of them? at the? Of course not. You'd be focused on that person because they're important to you. All Jesus is saying is when you pray, your perspective is remember God is your father and remember that he's God. More important, more significant, more hallowed and more to be honored than anybody in this world. Treat him with the respect and honor that he deserves. Well, the next thing we do is we need to accept. Now, we're going to get to accept in kind of a a roundabout way because I'm going to mention accept after the request. Um, Here's something you may not have noticed. So in the Lord's Prayer, write these verses. um, Our Father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's kind of the whole thing. Nice and short, not real long. You know, you don't have to pray like for hours in order to get God's attention. Um, But here's what you may not have realized. The first 50% of the prayer comes before the first request is ever mentioned. The prayer's half over before we're to ask for anything. I'd be willing to bet that's not how your prayer agenda goes. Does half of your prayer time concern perspective and remember before you get to the ask? Probably not. As we've said to start the series, we come to God in prayer with in request mode from the get-go, right? We come asking, asking. It's not wrong to ask. Jesus says ask. 
But 50% of the prayer happens before you get to the ask. Why is that? Well, because prayer is more about relationship than it is about requests. Now, there are three requests that are listed in the prayer, and they're kind of, you know, kind of like headings for main categories. It isn't like these are the only three things you can pray for. I'd be willing to bet all of our requests fit into one of these three areas. So here's what Jesus says. When you ask for things, that's fine. Give us today our daily bread. Justin mentioned that. Um, yeah, but daily bread doesn't just mean you pray for like Wonder or Stromans. That, that, that's not the point. Daily bread signifies all of the necessities. We still use bread as a metaphor for everything we need to live. The bread, the sustenance of life. So we come asking that God would meet our needs, knowing that we're not even wise enough and strong enough to meet our own needs. We come to God asking. And like Justin said to introduce the one song, sometimes we confuse a little bit our needs and our greeds, but the more you fix your perspective and the more you remember who God is, the more your needs and greeds are kind of focused in an accurate direction. And before you know it, you're actually praying more in sync with what God thinks about bread. And then you pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our debt. Now, that doesn't only mean financial debts, even though I guess that's included. Um, it's talking about debts, forgive people that have sinned against you, and God forgive us. And then there's a, Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against, well, at that part. I'm, I'm always nervous to pray that. Do you get nervous when you pray that? Because it's almost as if we're saying this, Lord, I want you to forgive me only to the degree that I forgive other people. I don't know about you, I'd be in a world of hurt if that was the case. Well, then what in the world is Jesus talking about? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It doesn't mean, Lord, I want you to use my means of forgiveness or my result of forgiveness as the measure with which you give it to me. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. I gave a little quiz right in the middle of prayer, right? As long as you're kind of thinking about who God is, you're getting your perspective right, you're praying for your necessities, I want you to take a little quiz right in the middle of it. How are you doing these days at forgiving people? People that really need your forgiveness because they really did sin against you. They really did say things they shouldn't have said. They really need to be forgiven. How are you doing at forgiving those people? If you're not doing well at forgiving them, that's a good indication that you're not bathing and enjoying the forgiveness that God has given you. Let me uh, change pictures for you. Suppose you need a loan. Would you go to somebody that's absolutely bankrupt and destitute to give you a loan? Heck no, you'd go to somebody that has a lot of money and a lot of disposable income so they can write you a check and you know, kind of lend you a loan, hopefully you pay them back. I think that's what Jesus is saying. If, if you are living off of all of the forgiveness that God's given you, if you're focusing on the depth of your sin and the height of God's forgiveness, Forgiveness will be easy to you because you have lots of disposable forgiveness around because you know what a mess you are. But if you're stingy with your forgiveness, that's an indication that, you're not, that you don't have much of a reservoir of forgiveness because maybe you're not experiencing and drinking in the forgiveness that God has for you. Remember, blessed people bless people. Forgiven people forgive people. And if we're not forgiving people, that's not a good indicator because maybe you haven't been or maybe you're not focusing on the forgiveness that you have in Jesus. And then lead us not into temptation. 
Lord, I'm weak. I'm stupid. You're going to, some paths, I'm going to veer off. And so, Lord, protect me, energize me by your spirit. Allow me to be strengthened by your word and by your spirit so I'm able to stand against these things and keep me away from things that will crush me. So those are kind of the ask. Ask, ask, ask. I don't want to focus on the details. You're good at asking. I want to focus on the accept stuff. You notice before Jesus gets to any of the requests, he kind of puts a, as a little uh, banner over the request these words. Your will be, don't you hate that? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Then you ask for stuff. It's almost as if now, Lord, um, I'm going to ask for a whole bunch of stuff here, but I just want you to know, you know better than I do. You're stronger than I am. You're wiser than I am. You're more loving than I am. So, Lord, I want you to exercise your little check valve. I want your will to be done more than my will to be done. Think, think about this. Now, in, the, in, in, the, in the sanity of this moment, we don't live this way, but think about it in the sanity of this moment. God is, is wiser, right, than any of us in this room, all of us together. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God is omnipotent, all powerful. He can do anything. And God is all loving and gracious. So God is more loving than any one of us and all of us together. God is wiser than any of us and all of us together. God is more powerful than any of us or all of us together. If you really could change God's mind by praying, would you pray? You'd be an idiot to pray. If God is all-knowing and all-wise, all-powerful and all-loving, you're going to try to change his mind to get him to give up what he knows to adopt what you know? We'd be stupid for that to happen. And so we say, Lord, your will be done. I've got certain requests. I'm putting life together like this. I'm putting it together like that. But Lord, I want you to know, I want your will more than my will because you know and you love a whole lot better than I know and I love. Your will be done. Well, that then raises the question, well, if when I pray, God doesn't give me what I want and God doesn't listen to me and I can't change his mind, why should I pray? Well, let me uh, shift the relationship and ask you the same question. Think about your relationship with your spouse. Is the reason you talk to your spouse only to get your spouse to do everything you want them to do? So suppose I say to my wife, Kim, say, Kim, we're going to start kind of a, a new agenda here. So I've got a few bullet points here that I'd like you to accomplish starting bright and early tomorrow morning. Before I leave in the morning, I would like a hot breakfast. I'd prefer if you get up a little bit before me, you go in the kitchen and make that. And rather than have to go into the kitchen, I'd prefer that you deliver that to me in bed. I like my pillow fluffed and vertical, please. After that, I'd like you to draw my bath because sometimes you wait there for the water to get warm. If you take care of all that before I got there, that would be better. You know what? My car gets dirty in this weather. Now with the snow, is going. so I want you to wash the car. Wax the car. Once a month would be good. I was going to say twice a month, but I'll take it easy. Once a month would be good. And my shoes, they get all splattered up in this. Kim, I want you to shine my shoes. And uh, you know what? When the ball game's on, two, two games today, I don't want any questions when the games are on, right? Just deliver me snacks and drinks to my table. You don't even have to say anything. Just come in, put them there, and go. Now, Suppose I were to ask you, but wait a minute. If she's not going to give me everything I want, that means talking to her is just not, besides, why should I ever talk to her? What would you say? Charles, you're losing your mind. 
<laughs> you may be losing your life, but um, <laughs> you would say, of course not. I don't have a conversation with my wife to give her a list of orders. And if she doesn't fulfill the orders, I don't say, well, talking to my wife doesn't work. Why then do we take that recipe, move it into our relationship with God and say, I come to God with this long laundry list of things I want. He doesn't give me what I want. So I say, well, why should I pray? What? If God is all-knowing and all-loving, would you really try to change his mind? Would you be that foolish? Prayer is about relationship. Now do you see why the first 50% of the prayer is about perspective? He's our father. Remember who he is. Accept what he wants, even though there's a place to ask. Above and beyond your ask, accept what God wants and what God has done for you. Well, the one theme that runs throughout the prayer, if you put all those pieces together, here's the theme. We should be yearning for what God is calling us to, right? The prayer, it's almost threaded through the prayer. Your kingdom come. I was thinking about that. What's it like in God's kingdom? Well, in God's kingdom, he is honored for who he is and what he's done. So let's recite the Lord's Prayer together. Then Andrew's going to come out and tie this all together, help us tie together in a song that shows us the reality that the gospel makes. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.